Yo, what's going on everyone? This is Juan Gray and welcome to the Words to Success show. Today I'm speaking with my boy Bryce Alderson. So Bryce is a former professional soccer player and he actually won two times best Canadian player of the year. He played professionally in Vancouver, Germany and the United States. So his career was blooming when he got a serious ankle injury in which he tore three of his ligaments. So obviously he had some important decisions to make, right? But he wasn't going to give up. So what he did was transition from being a professional athlete to a professional entrepreneur. Bryce purchased a restaurant while at the same time starting to build a nutrition company. After 18 months, he sold the restaurant and transitioned all of his focus and time into scaling the e-commerce nutrition business to over six figures a month. In the beginning of the episode, we talk about discipline and sacrifice, how he became world-class in soccer. After we speak about recreating yourself, how we transition from one field to a complete other one, and how you can do the same. So Bryce is a super humble guy, and there's lots to learn from his story, his piece of advice is, I really hope you guys enjoy the show. Let's get it. Vamos! Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Motivation is, it's not real. It's like a warm bath. Discipline's the most important thing. You know what needs to get done, and you're going to do it regardless. I kind of took that approach of like that 10,000 hour rule approach, where I was like, I need to do more. Like if I want to become better than them, if I want to improve faster than them, I need to do more. At the end of the day, everybody wants to see you do well, but nobody wants to see you do better than them. No matter what you do in life, people are going to judge you, so do what you love. Bryce Alderson, welcome to the most badass show on the planet, my man. How do you do? <laughs> Juan Gray, what's up, bro? How are you? Doing fantastic, my man. Super happy to have my boy on. Yo, you're a super inspiring guy, inspiring from an athlete perspective, inspiring from now an entrepreneur. So I'd like to go back in your story, man. I'd like to kind of touch your background, how you got into everything that you're doing right now. And uh, yeah, man, can we get to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just want to start, bro. Thank you so much for having me on the, uh, on the show. And I know even just as a listener, you know, your other episodes were, were inspiring and I'm pumped to be on here. So um, as you say, vamos. Vamos, bro. <laughs> um, so kind of, I guess, where it started for, for me, bro, growing up, everything was, I had a love and I had a passion for soccer and that was my life. And I know that me and you kind of share that and have that in common. Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I grew up in Kitchener, which is about an hour west of Toronto. And since I was little, it was like the thing that I loved the most was sports in general, but soccer. I had like a passion for it and I had like a liking to it from the time I was little. And I was always, always, always like even in the house, like kicking soccer balls around, like breaking stuff. I like destroyed our basement. Like from the time I was little, I was like blinders on. That's what I loved. It's what I was passionate about. Um, I kind of went the natural course or the route in Canada at the time, which was kind of building up through like a, a, a rep team, a district team, um, a regional team. And then I joined when I was 14, like the Ontario provincial team. And then obviously when I was 15 and 16, that continued into then like at the under 17 level, the national team. So I ended up moving actually to Vancouver to join the, the Whitecaps Academy when I was 16. So I moved away from home at 16. And at this time, a lot was going on. I was involved with like the under 17 Canadian national team. Uh, we were going through like World Cup qualifiers at the time. And I was moved away and across the country to, to join Vancouver's Academy. Um, and that was like obviously a... a an amazing experience and as like a young kid I think it's an experience that you grow through because you, you leave your friends behind you leave your family behind and you move across the country to pursue your dream right um, I did one year in the Academy with Vancouver 
Then just when we got back from, I went with the under 17 national team to the under 17 world cup in Mexico. As soon as I got back from that, still at 17, I signed a pro deal with, with the first team with Vancouver. Yeah. And, uh, then from there, that was an interesting, interesting ride because when I went to the under 17 world cup, my intention was not to stay in Vancouver. I wanted to go and I wanted to play in Europe. When I got back from the under 17 world cup, the club kind of knew this because they had tried speaking with me and tried to offer a deal before the under 17 world cup to lock me up before I left, but I didn't want to cause I wasn't interested. When I got back, the club sat me down, like the, the chairman of the club, the coach at the time, um, the, the CEO, the owners, everybody sat me down in a room and gave me this big presentation about where they think I could go, the potential they think I had, what they thought I could do even next year that Bryce, you're going to play 25 games next year. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And so that kind of sold me on staying in Vancouver. You know, it was like, it was, it was a safer bet and it was not as much of a, a leap of faith as, you know, going to Europe as a, as a young kid, as a 17 year old. So I signed there. Then the next, at 17, I signed. Then the next four years for me didn't go well. I, the next season, so after I had that talk with the, the, the club and I signed, the coach got fired. They brought in a new coach. And the new coach, he didn't like me. From the preseason, he didn't like me. And I was a young kid. So, and I wish I could go back. And obviously, as a young kid, you handle things a certain way. You're not mature enough to see all sides of it. But I immediately had that, that sense after the first half the season, whatever, when I wasn't involved, I wasn't playing games, I immediately already became like bitter. I didn't have that element of patience. I wasn't focused on like the big picture. I was like, no, I was told that I was going to like play this many games. That's why I signed whatever. And so I think it got me into like a negative headspace at an early age. Then that was obviously like from that point, it was hard to kind of battle through that. Um, but I ended up staying. I did four years in Vancouver. Uh, when my contract was over, we both mutually agreed. I didn't want to stay any longer. Um, they had new staff and they were shaking things up as well. Mm-hmm. At that time I went, um, I moved to Germany. I played a season in Germany. Um, and that's kind of where things went really south for me. We were in South Korea for preseason there. And I had like a bad tackle on my ankle. And it was the, the next day it was like swollen, like couldn't believe how swollen it was. But the physio there, he was convinced that it was just an ankle sprain. And anybody who plays sports knows an ankle sprain, the diagnosis, it's like ice rest for two weeks and then you're good to go again. So that's kind of what I did. I rested, iced it for two weeks and then kept playing again. Now I had like multiple of these occurrences and incidents throughout the season. And every time I went to the doctor and I got MRI, I got whatever, they kept diagnosing. It's like, no, it's just an ankle sprain that keeps recurring. So the, the diagnosis was the same, a couple of weeks rest and then play again. It got so bad by the end of the season that my kind of like regular schedule, I would play the match on the Saturday. On the Sunday, I couldn't even get out of bed. The Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I wouldn't train. I would just go and get physio because the ankle was so swollen and so like uh, weak and in pain that I couldn't do anything. Then on the Thursday, I would do light training, the Friday light training. And then on the Friday night, I would get a cortisol injection for the pain so that I could play again the next Saturday. So I kind of went through the season like this. Mm-hmm. Um, finally got to the point that I said, this is too much. Like there's clearly something wrong in my ankle. I need to get this checked out. So I flew back to Canada. I went to Ottawa. Um, and luckily one of the national team doctors had a look at it and said like, your ankle is destroyed. Like you've torn four ligaments in your ankle. You need like immediate surgery. Um, we have to get this done like ASAP. So that's when I did that. And at the time I had no motivation at all to continue with soccer. It was like a really rough patch for me. I had no motivation to continue with it. I was looking at like a 18 month 
recovery phase from that. And at the time, because I, before I left, I asked to be released from my contract in Germany because I wanted to go home. I wanted the surgery. I didn't want to be attached to the club. So we dissolved my contract before I left. So I was basically going to be like without a club looking at like an 18 month recovery. And that's when I really did like come kind of some, I guess, searching or, or deciding. And I decided that I didn't want to continue with, or that I wasn't going to continue with soccer. There was no for sure thing either. If you were going to make a full recovery from an injury like that and a surgery like that. Um, and that's when I kind of transitioned and I knew I didn't want to go back to school. I knew that wasn't really the route I wanted to take. Um, and then uh, after kind of like months of kind of planning and thinking, whatever, me and a friend of mine, a business partner at the time, we got into, we bought um, a small restaurant in the area and then we managed that for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, went kind of through that process and that in itself was like an amazing learning experience to kind of go from, you know, being a professional athlete to then having to like deal with customers having to hire, having to fire, having to like manage a restaurant, having to uh, do supply inventory, all those kinds of things, advertising, marketing, all those things under one umbrella. That was an amazing learning experience for us. Um, It didn't really have, or we weren't able to reach the scalability that we had hoped. Obviously anyone knows if you're in the restaurant game that you can only reach X amount in in terms of scale before you need to open up a new location. And it's very capital intensive and, and requires a lot of capital if you want to do that. Yeah. So it was towards kind of that last six to 12 months that we were looking, me and my partner were like looking for other things that we could do. And that's kind of when I went into like kind of down the rabbit hole and a lot of just like online research and looking at other ways and other businesses that we could launch and, and preferably that would be online. And that's when I kind of came across and I dabbled in, you know, drop shipping, affiliate marketing, and then kind of landed on Amazon FBA. I was fortunate because somebody who I grew up with uh, and my business partner now, Melissa, um, she was already in the space. And so I kind of seen what she was doing and I was luckily able to pick her brains a little bit. Uh, we sat down, we had a coffee. We, I was, went there to try to pick her brains. She was open to potentially doing like a partnership. So we sat down, we talked about that and we ended up partnering up. Um, and that's kind of how I got into what I'm doing now, which is like Amazon FBA and uh, launched and managed like a private label nutrition supplement company uh, on Amazon as well as on, on our own Shopify store. So that's kind of, I guess, like the long-winded um, story of how I kind of got to where I'm at now. Yeah, man. Super cool. So we're, we're going to get into everything after soccer in a bit, but I just want to touch a little bit on the growing up phase and the sacrifice you needed to get to where you were because not everybody signs contract at 16, 17 years old like you did, you know what I mean? And me coming from that world and also traveling as a young kid, you know, to South America, to Europe, representing, um, you know, and playing, playing, uh, play, playing soccer, right. And signing autographs at a very early age. Like I've lived that. And there was a lot of sacrifice that was needed. Like you said, you know, some, so many times you have to say no to parties, events with friends, all these things it's sacrifice. Right. And even with that, like the percentage of people who actually make it to play pro are very little. So I want to kind of go to the things that you did. I mean, what are the things that you did as a young kid, if you put yourself back in those shoes to actually accomplish that? Because just getting there is a success in itself before we move forward. So for me, the way I looked at it was always very binary. And I looked at it that even from a young age, when I was on the regional team, provincial team, whatever, I looked at it like this. If I train as much as everybody else trains, I'm going to improve at the same rate that they're going to improve. Yeah. So if the provincial team was training, you know, four nights a week, and then we had like a fitness program for the other two nights a week, everybody on that team is training then six times a week, right? Essentially is what it comes down to. Absolutely. But I'm like, if I train six times a week, the same as them, in my opinion, I leave it to chance. 
because everybody's training the same amount. And then it's a coin flip of who's going to kind of develop and who's going to take off. So I kind of took that approach of like that 10,000 hour rule approach where I was like, I need to do more. Like if I want to become better than them, if I want to improve faster than them, I need to do more. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really started with, I made a commitment to myself and I would always do every day. I would be out by myself, like doing drills. It didn't matter, like rain or shine. It didn't matter. Like it would be pouring rain. And if I had made a commitment to myself that I was going to go and I was going to train for 90 minutes by myself or I was going to do this, I did that. And so for me, that was the distinguishing factor. And like you said, I think sacrifice is a big thing and, and nobody sees that. You know, like I remember when I signed, when I was 17, I signed my contract and everyone back home was like messing me. Oh, you're so lucky. That's, you're so lucky that happened. And like, wow, you get to live your dream. And like, wow, how did that happen? But it's because they never saw everything that led up to that. If you go back 10 years, man, we were probably on a soccer field at the same time. I was with the ball, you were the ball, but in two different provinces, right? I was in Quebec. You were what, in Toronto and uh, in Ontario, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're probably, dude, because that, the amount of, yeah, almost every day, man, I would be on a soccer field and if just alone, shooting, practicing, dribbling. And that's what a lot of people don't see, right? And so when people say you're lucky at anything, I believe 100% you're lucky. But at the end of the day, every single thing that you do creates your own luck, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's a great quote that I love that says, you don't decide your future. Nobody in the world gets to decide their future. All you can do is you decide your habits and you decide your actions and your habits and your actions will decide your future. And I like that because it puts it in the very, the micro that all you can do is what you do today. And so I know even when I was in Vancouver, my schedule was, we were up at like 6 a.m. We would lift weights in the morning. So we go, we lift weights. Then we go to school. As soon as we were done school, we go and we train. After that, I'd come home. You get home about 5.30. And everybody else on my team, like, you're tired. Of course you're tired. You've had a long day. You've trained twice. You're tired. Everybody else on my team, it was like, would eat dinner. And then they're, like, playing FIFA or they're on Skype with their girlfriend or they're this or that. Me, every time I eat dinner, I'd relax for, like, an hour. I'd finish my homework. And then I'd go outside again. And I'd train another hour by myself. And I used to get, like, laughed at for that. And people would, like, make fun of me for that. Like, it's that idea that you're, like, People aren't comfortable when they see you pushing yourself for more. It makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them feel like, why are you doing that? And, and they kind of attack you like, oh, you think you're better than us, mm-hmm. right? And so that's part of the thing that you kind of go through. But that was my process. And I looked at it like that, that if I want to get better, I need to do more. And it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And tell me of a, of a moment where maybe you got laughed at or, or let me of a hard, kind of difficult, emotional moment where you really had to dig deep and and really figure out for yourself like why you're doing this and why you want to keep going because as you know becoming a professional athlete in any sport the amount of dedication and of sacrifice that's required you need to have a strong reason why you're doing this if you want to do it for the long run right and if you want to actually reach the level of becoming a professional athlete you know what was actually the 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 hardest time in my career and i haven't told a lot of people this um it was actually I, so when I had signed in Vancouver, I signed from the academy. I signed a first team contract. So I was the only player like that year to have went from the academy and signed a first team deal. And obviously I understand like Juan, you know, the camaraderie that you build with your team. So mm-hmm. when we're in the academy and you train together every day, you're like, you're going to school together. That camaraderie is so close. And I was so close with a lot of those guys in that team. We were like best friends. Mm-hmm. It, it, honestly, like we were like best friends. We'd hang out constantly. We we're always together. And the day after I signed my contract, when I walked into the locker room, nobody spoke to me. 
and that I think was the 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 hardest time probably that I, I went through because that was the first time that I got that kind of taste of it because I thought we were all friends I thought we were all teammates and I thought we all like supported each other and so when I walked in the locker room that day I thought everybody was going to be like hugging me high-fiving me like supporting me and being like congratulations we're like good for you and when I walked in it was like crickets from everybody, from the players who I thought I was closest with to the players that I weren't, nobody spoke to me. And that like was hard for me. And that was like a really good experience that I had to kind of grow through and like understand that, okay, at the end of the day, everybody wants to see you do well, but nobody wants to see you do better than them. And right. I think that's a hard thing to kind of come to grips with, especially as a young kid who, who, who looks at these people like they're your best friends. And when soccer is your life, man. So the, those people are literally the most important people in your life at that time because it's the people you're always spending time with and you're, you're all working towards the same vision, the same goal, right? Especially okay. when you're playing. It's not, you're not just playing on Wednesdays and on Fridays like a fun game where after you go for beers or have – this is like everyone is taking this as seriously as it gets when you start playing provincial level and – so yeah, that it, that's, I've had a similar experience to that actually when I was, you know, I don't know how old I was, maybe like 13, right. And, uh, was playing at the top level that there is over here. And, uh, at, at some point for myself, I needed to change, I needed to change the team, right. Because it was where for me, I needed to be at that time. And I was super close with everyone on the, on my current team. We, and I loved everyone to death, but at that situation, in that situation, you know how it is. Sometimes you have to do it and it's not, it's literally a thing that you need to do for yourself as an athlete. And there's no hard feelings. It's, it's a sport, right? It's your career. So after doing that, one of the interesting things is for me, I was like, how do I keep those relationships? And it's, you have to learn so much because all of a sudden they're in the same league and they become like your competitors and almost your enemies. So the, I, I realized very quickly who are the friends who they were like, Oh, what, what the fuck did you leave type of thing? But then yeah. also who are the people that really deep down actually are your, like your brothers. Right. And it's hard. It's hard. Like you don't find a lot. And so you realize at the end of the day that, um, I mean, you realize a lot of things, but I, but it, it's definitely not an easy thing to, to go through, especially as a young guy where it's your, it's your life and people, someone's like going to war with these guys. Right. Absolutely. And especially like you said, you hit the nail on the head that it's on the back of like, they're doing that on the back of like, you know, what you're doing is best for you. Yeah. And they know that it's best for you. They just don't fucking like it because it's not best for them. Right. And that's tough when you see that side of somebody that it's like, they don't want what's best for you. Like that's not what's best for them. And now they completely switch up and now they completely treat you completely differently. And a relationship that you thought was like um, a legitimate and organic and like a strong relationship, really it wasn't. And that's hard to come to terms with, you know? Absolutely. I think one of the, the cool things as well, um, which is a differentiating factor, which in business that goes as well, like what's your differentiating factor as an entrepreneur, as a, as a brand? And I know that you're a lefty, right? So yes. how, how did you tackle, because I'm sure that has, I mean, that is positive, but also it's, it's uh, you know, things that sometimes you have to completely, you know, do things a little bit in a different way. Or um, how did you go about it being, you know, a lefty or a midfielder? Yeah, I think that's one that it's, it's different. Like you said, I think there was always a bias that people naturally would give me more shit being like, Oh, like your right foot, you need to develop your right foot. Your right foot's not good. But when I look at it, everyone else, their left foot was not good. It's just, yeah. that's not as noticeable as when you have somebody who's left footed, who then doesn't have a right, you know? So, um, I it's think a big plus man, I think as well, cause there's not a lot of lefties. Right. So I think, you know, sometimes, especially, you know, there's some situations with being, being a lefty when nobody else is, 
like it's great to have a le- like a strong lefty on you know on on, on your yeah team. I agree and I think you know what you said is true that it's a distinguishing factor and I think yeah. anything that can kind of stand out or can make you different I think you have to use that and look at it not from the, the negatives yeah but, but it's definitely not the, it's definitely not the main thing right yeah of course yeah so how how did it go when you signed to to uh, the Whitecaps um, FC and you're a completely new guy, super young, probably one of the youngest, for sure, like the youngest on, on the team. And then making like the first team, how was it adapting to everyone? A lot of the guys are older, um, you know, have been together for a while. What was that experience like? And also when you start playing pro and having the fans and having, and I know you have a bunch of press, like I've seen some commercial with you with Bell, right, with EA Sports, which are really cool, bunch of interviews. How do you manage that as such a young kid and you know, you're signing the contracts, you're getting playing with first team. Um, your coaches have a way of looking at you and you have to perform every single, every single day because you know that every minute on the field counts. And if you don't do well, you're not going to have many minutes coming up, right? Absolutely. I think that was a, a hard one to navigate. And I think I was so, I remember being so nervous when I walked into the locker room. Um, not so much after I signed because I, I had been training with the first team kind of leading up to me signing as, yeah. I don't want to say as trial, but you're, you train with the first team a lot. When I was 16, I was training with the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience was, was, uh, was an interesting one. And it was hard to navigate as a young kid because you have a little bit of everything. I had some players who were kind of pulled me in and pulled me under their wing, so to speak, and sorted me out and brought me to the kit man to get my my gear and said hey do, if you need something let me know and would offer to take me after like do you need, do you need a ride do, do you want to go for lunch can I take you for lunch do you want a coffee which was amazing right and would kind of help me even on the field and talk to me whatever but then you also have on the flip side you have some guys who they see a young kid coming up that is potentially going to take minutes from them and potentially going to like hurt their position in the team and then they try to from day one just like cut you down so like you can't do anything right. Like anything you do is like you're getting yelled at, you're getting screamed at, and like you're a young kid, and it's hard for you to navigate this, you know, because you're you, at the time I was 17, and you have like 33 year old, 34 year old people like yelling at you, screaming like do this, do that, this is wrong, and they're like once you step up from kind of like a kid's environment, like a full men's, like it's ruthless. Like they don't give a fuck what they say to you. They'll say anything, yeah. and so that's hard too. That you have to take that. You have to like internalize that you have to try to improve from that but you can't let it crush you or get you down right because if you like slump your head and put your shoulders down like then you're finished because you start to train the rest of the rest of the day so you the first mature the day, get a thick skin real quick you have to you have to develop it like this and i think you need to develop that and also in a way that even if you disagree you can't say anything because you're the young kid you're the new kid and even if you disagree you have to just bite your tongue you have to learn to kind of, like you said, you develop a thick skin and you have to learn to get on with it. But you also see a lot and you learn about people's personalities and how to deal with people. That You have some people who they want to help you because they've been there. And you have some people who from day one, they want to tear you down and they just want to send you back to the academy and, and be done with it, you know? And then there's the people who, you know, they act like they're your best friend and trying to help you, but secretly inside they're not, which shows are like the worst, you know what I'm saying? But, and, and this isn't any any uh, industry, bro, like I have friends, you know, that are young guys in their mid twenties that are going in the big fields in the financial sector, for example. Yes. Right. And they're the young kids coming in with a bunch of 40, you know, plus year olds that have been in this industry forever. And you see these guys are super talented, 24 years old, and they're 
as skilled as these guys, not as experienced, but they have like something new to bring and they're fearful. At the end of the day, it comes down to fear, right? So there's people always, there's always people that are going to try to bring you up if you're, if you're a good person, and everything like that, but there's always going to be people that are going to be trying to bring you down. And this is in anything, right? In the entertainment industry, in, like I said, in the financial industry and absolutely any industry th- that that's what happens. So it's how to deal with that. And there's, I think it's a fine line of, especially when you're coming up of not letting nobody kind of step on you, right? Keeping your head up and not letting, not taking shit from nobody, but at the same time, not being just a complete, um, how do you say this? Um, like not creating enemies off the bat either. Yes. Right? Because then you're just kind of shooting yourself on the foot, especially you got to know your place when you're a new person on this field, because later on you're going to be, that person that has all those years of experience and you're also not going to want a new kid to just come on the block and think he owns, he owns everything because he doesn't. Absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's trying to walk that tightrope. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head that it's any industry, right? Because people are fearful. And at the end of the day, when there's somebody new coming on, they just look at it like it's a threat most of the time. Right. So I think it's trying to walk that tightrope. And I know that I had before I had coaches say to me, Listen, when the older players say something to you, don't say anything. Like, just say, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, my bad, whatever, and move, and move on and play. And then I had some coaches who said, like, are you going to let the guy punk you the whole season or are you going to tell him to fuck off? Mm-hmm. Right? So I think it's that, and that's hard, and that's where you try to walk that, that tightrope a little bit, that there is no perfect way to handle it, and you're, you want to make friends with everybody, and you want to be nice with everybody, but at the same time, you need to also kind of navigate that you're also there – to play or to act or to sing or to, to be a trader, like whatever that is, whatever industry you're in, you're also there for a reason that you have something to provide you something to like give, and you also have value as well. So I think it's trying to walk that tightrope and, uh, and kind of navigate that. And that's difficult. I think. Absolutely. What would you say would be your main piece of advice? If you were to yourself, if you were 16 years old again, and you could do something differently or you can kind of talk to yourself and you have an hour conversation with this guy. What would be the main point that you would want to bring home and get into young Bryce Alderson's head if you could do that? You know what I think is tough about that, uh, Juan, is that I think there's a lot of things that I could say now, but I genuinely think that a young 16-year-old Bryce had to go through it and had to like – Oh, absolutely. You know, so – I think I would tell myself that like, listen, you're young, like you're 17 and you might have these big goals and these big aspirations. But for right now, you're 17, you're young, be patient. And every day you need to come in and you need to perform every day. And whether the coach picks you or he doesn't pick you, you need to keep coming back and you need to keep performing at the highest level you can. And you just put your head down for the next couple of years and not lift it and just keep going. And that would be my advice. I just don't think as a 16-year-old kid, I would have internalized that or understood that. Mm -hmm. Because I think that if there's one thing that every athlete has, but also any kind of peak performer, whether I think it's in any athlete that I've met who's been successful, any musician, any actor, I think there's a certain degree of everybody has a little chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. And some are bigger than others, but it's something you develop through the adversity that you go through, through the sacrifice that you make and through everybody along the way who told you that you're not good enough, you're not going to make it, you're stupid for doing what you're doing, whatever that may be, you have to develop that a little bit, that chip on your shoulder. And I think everybody has that to a certain degree. And that's why I say that me as a young kid, I had a lot of players take me under their wing and try to talk to me and say, listen, it's okay. Like you're not going to play, you probably won't play this season. You're young, you're 17, you have your whole career ahead of you. But as a young kid, I couldn't understand that. 
I had these big goals and I had these big aspirations and I knew or I thought that, well, I'm better than him or I'm better than him or I think I deserve a shot or whatever that was. And instead of just like respecting that, okay, I'm young and I'm going to respect the coach's opinion and I'm going to try to learn and going to try to just get better every day. You have this kind of like a sour outlook that you think you deserve more, if that makes sense. So I think I would try to just drive into my head as a young kid, patience, be patient, learn everything you can. That being said, I don't know if as a young kid, if I would have, if I would have, if I would have listened and if that would have changed anything, or if I just genuinely had to go through what I went through to then be able to reflect back on it and then be able to learn from it. Mm-hmm. If we move on to entrepreneurship, bro, what would you say are the, cause there's a lot of skills that just by the fact of wanted to be, you know, wanted to be a pro and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. You have to, you have to gain. Right. And going through the, I think dedication, one of the things that athletes have um, that when you bring anywhere, it's going to, it's going to change the game. But what would you say are the main skills that you've taken from your whole life in soccer and brought into business and entrepreneurship? Because I don't think it's just the fact that, you know, you did a partnership with the right person. I mean, that's, that's great. But it, you, that she wouldn't have wanted to partner up with you. For example, if you weren't the kind of person, you weren't the person that you were because of who, what you did as a player. Right. So what did you, uh, what did you bring to the table and what is it that you keep bringing to the table because of things that you've, you've, uh, you've gained as a, as an athlete? I think the number one thing that an athlete can take into business. And I think if there's one, main attribute that maybe an athlete can can transfer and then makes an athlete dangerous in the business world is discipline right it's something mean you've already touched upon mm-hmm. but i think that discipline is is so i don't want to say it's underrated but people don't recognize how important discipline is and i think that people talk about so much about motivation i hear people ask questions all the time about how do you stay motivated mm-hmm. and everybody knows like the truth of it is like you don't fucking stay motivated. Like nobody stays motivated. Motivation is, it's not real. It's like a warm bath. Like, yeah, you can wake up in the morning and listen to like a Tony Robbins, you know, tape for 20 minutes or try to get yourself pumped up. But it's not about what you do when you're motivated. It's about what you do when you feel like crap or like you don't want to work or you don't want to get that done. So, and I think as an athlete or as a high level performer, you recognize that discipline is the most important thing. You know what needs to get done and you're going to do it regardless. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if your friend wants to go and go for dinner or go to a party. It doesn't matter what's going on. You get it done. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing is that even from like the restaurant, like there's times you have kids who they call in, like four of them call in sick. Okay, well, all that means now is that I'm going to be there from open until close. So I'm going to be there for 16 hours straight or whatever that is. And whatever that is that translates to like e-commerce if I need to like get back to these emails or I need to respond to these customers or I need to deal with the shipping plan, whatever that may be, it's going to get done. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the weather is. All of that stuff is irrelevant. So I think that's something that is kind of pounded into from a, a young age with sport is that, you know, and you have to learn discipline from how you train to like what time you go to sleep to the things that you eat. It's constant. It's 24 seven, which I think is a good, bridge to entrepreneurship because as you know entrepreneurship is 24 7 and if you're not disciplined you're going to get exposed absolutely yeah man we, we had an interesting conversation last time i was with you uh in toronto right when we were at the restaurant what would you say from that conversation because we, we talked for a long time what would you say was the main uh thing that you know you enjoyed from our convo that is something that the listeners can get value from 
because we talked about a lot of stuff. We did. We did talk about a lot of stuff. Um, for me, one, I genuinely just think that your story itself was so inspiring. And so for me to try to go back and, and pick like one nugget or one thing would be difficult for me. That being said, I think that talk and, and, and the time that we got to spend together was so motivating for me. Cause I'm like, wow, like Juan has, in a way we have a similar kind of story, but in a way it's, it's completely different as well. Right. Yeah. And so I think that what motivates me and what for me about that was so inspiring is that it's like, wow, like Juan did the sports thing. Juan did, you know, music and acting and entrepreneurship and is involved in so many different spaces. And you've formed so many great relationships with, with people of influence as well. And I think for somebody so young to have done that, that to me is just like motivating that it's like, wow, that can be done. So I think the thing that I would take from it is just like the mindset because I could get the sense from talking to you. And I, I love the fact that you were so open and you shared everything that you had done, but there was nothing about that conversation from you that was braggadocious or that was arrogant. And I think that the reason that's such an amazing trait is because you genuinely just had no doubt in, in yourself that you were going to do those things and that that was going to get done. And so for that reason, you're just like, I put the work in and now this is kind of what's happened and this is what I've done. And that's like a great way to go about it, that it's not, you're not surprised about it. You're not arrogant about it. You knew what you want to do. You had a target and like you hit that target. And I think for a lot of people, that's something that they can take from it is that when you have a clear vision and you have a clear goal and you reverse engineer what needs to be done to get there. And every single day, regardless of how you feel, you work towards that. Once you get there, you're not going to be surprised. You're not going to wake up shocked that this worked out or that you got that job. You're going to feel like you deserve it because you're the one who's seen all the work that got you there. And that's mm -hmm. something that I really took from, from our talk is that I could tell that you know that you deserve what you have because of the work that you've done. I appreciate that, man. Uh, man, I wish people could see you right now because uh, you're making me blush, bro. <laughs> maybe we'll have to come up with a video later we'll have to do like a, a live podcast next time yeah man now next time i'm seeing you in a few weeks in, in toronto so we're gonna do a little video content together but um yeah man i appreciate that and bro i think we're gonna wrap up soon do you have any any um last piece of advice because one of the things that i extremely love about your story man and is how you recreated yourself right and for me recreating i mean, I mean it's it's pretty much everything right for myself as my story as well but how what advice would you give from someone from people who dedicated most of their life into one thing but then for some reason whatever it is an injury it's uh they just don't want to do that anymore whatever it is to change and when you do that people have a label on you right like people are like for me people are like yo this is a soccer guy like he's gonna be playing pro because that's what i and that's that was my dream right like if you go in my room when i was you know f my whole life until like 16 17 years old you go and you see literally these trophies medals posters paintings of soccer bars everywhere because that was my life right and that's what everybody knew me for so when i started doing something different everyone's like what the heck you know and that for sure kind of happened in, in one way for yourself. So what piece of advice do you have for someone who wants to change or want to change the career path or, or their vision? What would be, uh, what, what would you say to that? I think the best piece of advice I can give to someone who's in that position is that you hear a lot of talk about trying to find yourself, right? I think that's a big, um, keyword. If you want to call that in culture today, finding yourself, finding yourself. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I felt like I went through that as well. But I think the, the big mistake is life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. 
And I think too many people try to go internal and, and, and think, well, what, what do I want to do? Or what do I think I should do? Or is this right? Or is that right? I think that's the wrong mindset to have. I think you need to go with the, the mindset of creating yourself. If you genuinely are leaving something that you don't want to do anymore, you've had a bad injury with sport and you don't want to do it, or you decided that, you know, you might've studied this in college, but you don't want to do that. So you're starting fresh, right? Take that as motivation as you should have an abundant amount of energy around the fact that you get to start from zero and you get to create the life that you want. So I think so many people are looking internally for some flash of inspiration or some like uh, moment of clarity in terms of what they want to do, as opposed to just sitting there being like, Hey, I can make myself whatever I want to become. I can create this person, right? Like one, you can create one. I can create Bryce. Like whatever form you want to take, you can create that person. And so I think a lot of people take that approach of, like I said, trying to find a, a bit of inspiration or come across some, something that's going to give them a push in the right direction. When if they look at it and they understand and they believe that they can make themselves whatever they want to be, I think that's a much more powerful mindset to be in. hundred percent, my man. I love that. So I'm going to ask you one last question, bro, to finish this off. And that's if I give you a piece of paper right now, I hand it over to you. And on that piece of paper, you have to write down, a note that you're going to give to a loved one, maybe a uh, future daughter, son. And that's the last thing that they're going to get from you before you leave this, this, uh, this earth. Like what would be on that piece of paper and what would be your worst success? Mm, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I like that. Um, if I was going to leave a note as like a last kind of words to success for my family, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Your family, think, your loved one. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's the message that they can keep reading over and over again, you know, to when they remember you. I think what I would love to, and this is something that don't get me wrong. I struggle with this as well. And so I feel like it's a good piece of advice for me to give. Cause I'm feel like I'm battling this every day mm-hmm. that people will judge you no matter what you do, no matter what, right. People will judge you that you want to be a soccer player. People will judge you that you're a musician. People will judge you that you want to be an actor. If you want to be a doctor, people will judge you. If you want to devote your life to the church or to charity, people will still judge you. No matter what you do in this life, somebody is going to judge you. So if no matter what you do, you're going to be judged, you have to get out of that mindset of what everybody else is going to think and you need to do what's going to make you happy. Because once you can understand that no matter what you do, people are going to have opinions, people are going to have judgments, and people are going to talk behind your back. And once you can get out of that mindset where that cripples you, And you can move towards, no, this is what I love. And this is what I'm passionate about. And I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do this anyway. I think that's when you become free and that's when you become powerful. So I think we're going to leave, you know, one piece, it would be that it was no matter what you do in life, people are going to judge you. So do what you love. Hey, Bryce Alderson, everybody. (laughs) Killed it, brother. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on, you know, and sharing everything that you shared. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value from, from it for sure. So I appreciate you, bro. Love you. And I, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to play some soccer. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you, man. I can't wait to catch up again. And, uh, if we can get some warmer weather, cause I don't know how it is in Montreal, but it's, uh, it's been like beyond cold these last few days. So I don't know about the soccer thing yet, but we'll get to that at some point. <laughs> Come down to LA and we'll, we'll do something. Yeah, exactly. Go, go West coast. All right, brother. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. Pleasure, man. Thank you. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation with Bryce. If you guys want to learn more about him, you can go to wordstosuccess.com under episodes, and it's all there. Also, the team and I would really appreciate some reviews, ratings on iTunes and the website. We want to hear 
get some feedback. So let us know, and uh, we'll keep delivering for you, all right? I'll see you guys in the next show. Vamos. 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 Vamos.